On the program today, we have State Representative Brad Bowles out of Marlowe, District 51. Brad, thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, George. Didn't scare you away, I guess, huh? It's always good to be here. Okay. And we have a first-timer with uh, State Senator Jessica Garvin out of Duncan. Jessica, thanks for coming in today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And what district is that? I have District 43. 43? Yes. And in what area? Okay, so I've got south of Duncan, so Comanche and Velma, and I go all the way up to Newcastle, Blanchard, over to Purcell and Goldsby. So it's a pretty big district. I've got Marlowe, Rush Springs. Mm-hmm. So that's a, it's a lot of miles. Yes. A lot of, a lot of windshield time, I guess, for you, huh? <laughs> yes, it is. All right. So well, thanks to both of you for coming in. So, uh, Brad, let's talk a little bit about uh, some things you've been working on this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, legislative session ended in May, but that doesn't mean you stop working because you guys don't. There's just a lot to do between uh, uh May of one year to February of the next, right? It's definitely been busy. You know, we've uh, this summer we've gone around, give legislative updates across the district, you know, different town hall type events, um, you know, Lions Club, Chamber of Commerce Mm -hmm. type of updates. So that's been fun going around the district, talking to them. And also with school starting back up, you know, we've had the opportunity to go talk to a lot of different schools, the faculty administration as they start back school and talk to the teachers and, you know, welcome them back to school and listen to any concerns that they may have. So that's been good. But as far as uh, at the Capitol, uh, we have interim studies starting up here in the fall, and uh, we also had different committees that have been named, and uh, or task force, so to say, and I've been named on the uh, Oklahoma Hydrogen Task Force, and uh, that's a, uh, it's been a good learning experience. Uh, hydrogen is an up-and-coming uh, industry in, in the country, and uh, we think in America that it could be a multi-billion dollar industry, and uh, in Oklahoma, we have a good opportunity. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, variables and inputs that go into uh, the hydrogen industry, uh, such as natural gas, water, and uh, and so we feel like you know we got to have pipeline infrastructure. And in Oklahoma, we have all of those type of things already in place. You wouldn't and, think, uh, you know, you think oil and gas, and then wind and solar. Uh, that's right. In Oklahoma, now never would ever probably think about hydrogen, but there there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's an alternative fuel, mm-hmm. but it takes resources from. Uh, types of fuel that we already have, such right. as natural gas. So, you know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of the the drilling that goes on in Oklahoma is actually natural gas. There's more natural gas than oil production in Oklahoma. So, we're w- well positioned with the abundant resources of natural gas, and so we can you know use that to uh, play into this uh, hydrogen industry. And uh, you know, it's a net zero carbon emission industry. And so, as the the global side goes into more carbon net neutral. Um, we can actually be a, an important player in that game in Oklahoma with our natural gas uh, supply. Looking forward to see what that can bring. Uh, I mean, we're talking jobs. We're talking, know. it could mm-hmm. be thousands of jobs. It could be a, a huge revenue source for our state, a lot of job creation, and hopefully a lot of wealth. And, but what we're looking at doing is seeing, well, what can we do as a, as a state to position ourselves to, uh, you know, take advantage of this opportunity? And, you know, what policies do we need to have in place? And what can we do to, to be one of the leading states in the country? And then really, you know, I believe, you know, as a state, it's not our, we're not in the business of creating jobs. We're in the business of creating a positive atmosphere so private entrepreneurs can create jobs. And so that's what we're looking at doing. So are you look, what other states are doing anything with hydrogen, do you know, right now? There's a few others looking at this opportunity mm-hmm. as well, but I believe that Oklahoma is on the leading edge of this. And so um, we're trying to be proactive and uh you know, uh, the federal government's putting a lot of money in research at this moment. And so what we're looking at doing is uh, trying to f- see what, where that research leads and be prepared so that we can be one of the leading states in that, in that industry. 
You know, we feel like in, in energy, we are an energy state. Uh, we're one of the leading countries in oil and gas uh, production and wind production. And so uh, why can't we be in hydrogen production as well? Looking forward to see what comes out of that. Jessica, let's talk about some of the things. Um, you were very active in your freshman year and got a lot done, I guess. Yeah, I, I feel like I did. People yeah. keep telling me that I had a record of bills signed by a freshman. I don't know if that's true or not or if they were just trying to flatter me, but <laughs> got a lot done. I felt like I had a lot to prove this first year, and so I really just jumped in and really head first, mm -hmm. I think. Um I'm really proud of a lot of the work that I was able to accomplish with so much help. It definitely wasn't all me. Um, I had a lot of really good people who helped me along in the process and held my hand and kind of walked me through. Especially as a freshman, you've got to reach out uh, to find some folks. And, of course, yeah. Brad, I'm sure, was a big help uh, He was, absolutely. And, I don't mm -hmm. like to give him a whole lot of credit, <laughs> but he was. He was a really great friend, um, helped me through we got a couple bills signed into law together mm -hmm. uh, and so that was that was really cool to be able to share that with so talk about working with senator paxton uh and oh man Sen senator paxton he's kind of honorary for those who <laughs> don't know that um but no he's a great friend to me as well and um just guided me along and i actually am on the same hallway as senator paxton and some other senior members and so they were really good about telling me when i was wrong and telling me when I was right, giving me a pat on the back, and so really encouraging uh, colleagues, and and it was just a really great freshman year. And did you get a chance to work with uh, Darcy Yek? Yes, uh, mm -hmm. yes. He um, sent me a text message after uh, Senate Bill 320, which is our medical parole bill, and he said, you've done a really big thing for a freshman and just mad respect and coming from senator yuck i mean i just he's just phenomenal and have a lot of respect for him and he's just a super good person so having something like that said to you by someone that you respect that much was just uh, it meant a lot to me so talk about that measure and what it means and what it does yeah so senate bill 320 was probably one of the biggest things that i was able to accomplish this year with again with a lot of help um, Representative Marcus McIntyre was the House author, and he's actually from Duncan as well. And um, that bill was a medical parole bill. So in the state of Oklahoma, we did not have any sort of guidelines or restrictions on who could apply for medical parole. And so when you have someone who's near death or dying in the prison system, it just costs the taxpayers a ton of money um, when these people are no longer a threat threat to society most of them are bed bound they can't get out of a wheelchair they can't get out of bed they're literally actively dying um considered hospice type patients but in oklahoma any any inmate could apply for medical parole because there was no guidelines and so this set very clear guidelines on who could apply so every you know jane doe with a paper cut couldn't be applying for medical parole it just set out some really clear guidelines so that um our system has just you know it's more restrictions as far as who can apply but um i think it gives us a really good balance between being compassionate and saving tax dollars a ton of money um and so i was really proud of that one so uh goes into effect i guess the first of november first of november mm -hmm. yes it does it goes through the first of november and and inmates will still have to apply and um be qualifying for parole so if they you know have a violent crime or something like that not going to be able to um, apply for that they still have to meet the requirements for the regular pardon parole board 
Uh, Brad, let's talk about some other things uh, that you've been working with. You've been on the Joint Committee for Pandemic Relief Funding. Yes. And, uh, and that's been a big thing with the uh, uh, federal funds coming into Oklahoma. It sure has. Uh, you know, we had our first meeting last month, and uh, so we got that going. Uh, and at, first of all, before I talk about that, I do want to say Senator Garvin has been great to have in the Senate. And uh, it's great to have a partner like her over there, Senator Paxton. All of it, you know, he was mm-hmm. been a good partner as well. So it's it's good to have both of them in the Senate because you know, in the House, you can get something through the House, but without having a Senate partner to get it through the Senate, it doesn't matter. And so it's great to have two different senators that we work closely with. So appreciate your your work over there in the Senate. Thank you. You're not too bad yourself, Brad. Yeah. Even though she beat me in the uh, the seed spitting contest and water <laughs> I the did. Rose watermelon. I did. Yeah. I she won't let me live that down. Yeah, I won't. And I'm still waiting on my trophy. <laughs> And George is a witness, too. We'll I get think you, you saw I'll that. I'll get you one before we leave. How about Perfect. <laughs> but, yeah, so back to your question. On the uh, American Recovery Plan, um, Rescue Plan Act, so the state of Oklahoma is getting about $1.9 billion that we have to allocate to our state and from the federal government. And, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out the best way to allocate that money. And this committee the governor uh, asked for basically is a, a check and balance. And so, so the governor having just total authority on how he spends that money, the committee will actually take requests from different uh, groups and associations or even members in the House and Senate on how they feel like would, you know, how this money would be better spent in Oklahoma to get the best return on investment or what infrastructure projects could be used. And there's a, there's guidelines that the federal government has on how we can spend this money. One thing I heard this week was that uh, it could be used for broadband service. Broadband's a big initiative, and uh, broadband's a huge one. And as you know, in rural Oklahoma, especially Grady County and Stevens County that I represent, uh, broadband's a big issue. And so I, I think that's definitely going to have a high priority in, in Oklahoma, and we could definitely use the help there. What do you suggest constituents do, especially if they're concerned about about the broadband? So uh, feel uh, free to reach out to me. Uh-huh. Uh, or your representative, your senator, if it's not me, uh, let us know what your mm-hmm. what what you think would be best to use the money for. But there's also an email uh, address that send it. Send me your information; I can send it to you. But there's a way to do that. But basically, this committee will score these different projects, and so we'll we'll recommend projects to another committee of like nine or ten people. Then they'll they'll score the the projects and send it to the governor. And then the governor will choose which projects to fund or not fund. We're talking road and bridges, yeah, uh, utilities, water, that's infrastructure. That's right. It's, it's infrastructure yeah. projects, mm-hmm. and it can't be reoccurring uh, expenses. So the goal is we don't want to spend money on something that's reoccurring because this pro- this money is a one-time fee. Mm-hmm. So basically, when this money runs out, we're not going to get any more. And so if you have reoccurring expenses, and when the money runs out, if you don't have money to replenish that, then we're in trouble. So it's going to be a one-time thing. And what we're looking at doing is making sure that – we get the best investment we can, you know, for future return on investment or for expenses that we feel like could really, you know, move the needle for our state. Uh, Jessica, let's talk about uh, you were uh, happy with uh, uh, one of your bills that got through about uh, adopt- adoptions. Yes, right? yes. So uh, for those who have been following the McGirt decision and how that's impacted the state of Oklahoma with, you know, uh, prison sentences and things like that for some criminals in Oklahoma who have done just really horrific things. And that has impacted our state in a lot of different ways. But one of the ways that it had the potential of affecting us was there are 2,800 children in the state of Oklahoma, approximately 2,800, that are either tribal members or their biological families are tribal members or a crime that was related to those 
children occurred on tribal land. And so there are children who have been taken into state custody through the Department of Human Services in conjunction with the child welfare, um, the the different tribes, child welfare, sorry. Um, And so this, uh, there was an attorney who was trying to file adjudication for those children and say that they should have never been taken into custody and and given up for adoption because of the McGirt decision. And so what happened was you had all of these children at risk for being taken from their adoptive homes. Some of those children have been adopted for 16, 17 years. And all of a sudden, they come in and say, well, you didn't actually have the jurisdiction to do that. And so uh, we, uh, Representative Mark Lawson and I, were able to work with Jerry Askins, former former Mm -hmm. Lieutenant Governor Jerry Askins, and DHS, and Senator Rosino, and just several different people um, to codify federal statute into state law and basically protected those kids from being removed from their adoptive families. And so that was probably one of the um, most notable things that happened this session and something I'm really proud to have been even a small part of. It wasn't my idea. I just ran the bill, but being able to know that I made a difference um, and that we all made a difference, you know, I think that that passed unanimously in the House and the Senate. And so um, it happened so quickly. It was turned into law within 36 hours. And it just was one of those things that we all kind of came together during a really pivotal point in session and, and got that done for the protection of those families. So really proud of that one. Brad, you mentioned uh, about the visiting schools and whatnot with schools back in session. And uh, the governor said he's not going to issue an emergency order to order schools to uh, have mandatory masks, mm-hmm. but there have been school districts that are going against the grain on that. Right. So there was a Senate bill 658 that was passed that basically said that school boards cannot uh put in mask mandates unless there's a state of emergency issued by the governor. And so uh, what's happened is, is the governor has not issued a state of emergency. Therefore, school boards cannot you know, vote on a mask mandate. But there's a little bit of a loophole in the law that was passed. There was nothing said in the legislation that superintendents or principals can't do their own mandate. Now, there's a little bit of pushback on that because the intent of the law was for schools not to have a mask mandate, period. And theoretically, a superintendent, if they were to do like a, uh, a mass mandate, most likely, most superintendents would probably not do a district-wide mass mandate without most likely calling each school board member and saying, hey, by the way, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Right. And probably get their support informally without a vote. And so, you know, are they circumventing the state law? Some would say they are. Some would say they're not. They're definitely circumventing the intent of the state law. But are they legally that's up in air at the moment but um you know at the end of the day uh from my understanding the schools that have done that are still allowing for exemptions for uh, parents that don't agree with that to have an exemption for their kid not to have to wear a, a mask so i was happy to hear that but there's definitely a lot of controversy on that and at the end of the day my my personal opinion is you know if you want to wear a mask wear a mask if you don't want to you don't have to and really, that's I think that was a, our purpose is not to have a mask mandate for everyone. It was just let let local control decide that. At the end of the day, there's no closer form of local control than the parents. And they're, at the end of the day, you know, I have two kids that are in elementary school at a public school. And, you know, I feel like me and my wife know what's best for our kids more than anyone. And it's our decision. 
and you know i feel like parents across oklahoma made their voice pretty strong with us they feel like they want to have control of their own kids uh decisions jessica you wanted to mention uh, another bill that you got through with the public safety uh committee yes regarding spousal sexual assault yes so in the state of oklahoma there was a very outdated law that allowed for a spouse to rape a spouse and um worked with several incredible people again on this piece of legislation to put a stop to that. So now in the state of Oklahoma, it is not legal for a spouse to rape a spouse uh, without having some criminal charges pressed against them. And it just, you know, it holds people accountable. I think that unfortunately we live in a world where that kind of thing happens. And so um, it shouldn't be okay just because you have a wedding ring on or a piece of paper saying that you're married. And so this really gives protection for victims, um, both men and women. And and so I think it's a really big deal. And Oklahoma was way behind times with that um, law in, in statute. And so we've changed that. And hopefully this will give some protection for victims of sexual assault. Which I was surprised when we voted on that. I couldn't believe that that wasn't even already a law. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whenever it got brought to me, I was like, "This is there's no way yeah. that this is real." <laughs> the things we we learn uh, mm-hmm. down the down the line. Oh, let's talk about you guys uh, passed a, a, I guess a record budget uh, this year, and I'm sure you were happy to be involved in that. Yes, um, Senator. Gardner, yeah, so that was um, it's really neat the whole process behind legislation, and that's actually one of our only constitutional obligations is to have a budget that passes. And so um, knowing starting out as a freshman that we're going to have a budget eventually, but not seeing the process until you kind of go through it the first, the first time was uh, just really exciting. I mean, seeing that how all of the legislation that we pass individually makes an impact on the budget. Uh, Working with Senator Thompson, I was extremely blessed to have um, kind of been taken under his wing and him show me how the process worked and just he walked our whole class through the the budget process on the senate side and um, it's just a really neat process and I wish that everyone could see it you know so so detailed like we get to in the legislature but uh, yeah it was an incredible experience we passed a phenomenal budget. Um, I've heard several senior members say that it's the best state budget that they've ever been able to be involved with. And so that's a really cool thing to know that we've really stabilized our budget. We've put money into savings and kept it there. And uh, it, you know, had a lot of bipartisan um, input and bipartisan support. And so I think that that's a really big deal when you're talking about that much money. I probably don't have any guess what 2022 might bring yet it's still way early i know so well, so far things are looking good uh, we're the economy is looking good right now and you know our our budget you know as far as the revenue that we were hoping we were going to get in is on track or exceeding what we're expecting so you know it's still early it's what we're in the middle of august and our budget year is july 1 through june 30th so we're about six weeks into our 52 week cycle but if things hold true then things should look good next year People are still uh, just can't believe the money the state's getting from medical marijuana. It's just the sales are growing, it seems like, every month. Well, there was a report and, uh, that came out last week that uh, our sales last year grew 50%, uh, you know, compared mm-hmm. to the previous year. And so that's, you know, quite a bit. And as you will know, in Grady County, we have, I think, over 300 licensed growing marijuana facilities. And so 
there's a lot of growing uh, operations and with that has caused a lot of controversy as mm-hmm. you are probably aware as well mm-hmm. represent Lowe's doing a couple interim studies on this and some others as well but um we're trying to uh do the best we can to honor uh state question 788 passed by the people in june 2018 that was on the ballot but also at the same time have some sort of regulation to better control um what's going on as well because it it seems like there's a lot of foreign ownership which was not uh i don't think that was the will of the people when they passed state question 788 um and so we're trying to uh we passed some bills this year to give like the obn uh, an opportunity to partner with the uh, medical marijuana authority and to start cooperating and and you know you've seen on the news a lot of raids that have happened for uh, illegal growing operations and uh and also there's some human trafficking that's been involved in some of these which isn't good for anyone and so we're putting some restrictions in place to hopefully catch the bad actors and then hopefully as that continues on some of the other bad actors will be uh have more incentives to not do what they're doing. So what do you recommend for to a property owner who you've got a foreign investor that's considering buying their property and they just offer an outrageous amount of money for their acreage and it's kind of hard to turn down? Well, that's that's definitely an issue. And, uh, you know, th- you know it, it is illegal for foreign owners to uh, or foreign entities to own American land. But one issue that we've had is that they've there's been some loopholes created or they've kind of went around the current law to get to that point and so we're looking at tightening up those regulations and uh but one thing i will say i, I think you'll start seeing uh an end to some of that with some of the laws that we passed this year and uh hopefully you know we we want this to be a legal operation uh with oklahomans and you know the, the intent with this was not for international companies to come in here and buy our Oklahoma land and start, you know, illegal operations where they sell across state lines or even federal exporting going on, which from my understanding is happening quite a bit in even this area. I would just add to that. We get calls a lot, or at least I do. I'm sure you do too, Representative. But we get a lot of phone calls and emails from constituents asking why we're not doing more you know why are we not controlling it more and this is just a prime example in my opinion of when you allow for an out-of-state organization to write a state question and they control the narrative and they control the the language of the question and what's put on our ballot this is a prime example of why this is a terrible idea (laughs) because our hands in the legislature are really tied a lot of times when it comes to medical marijuana because of the fact that our state question was so poorly written, but the people did vote for it. And so a lot of those same people who supported it are now reaching out to us and saying, well, why aren't you doing something about it? And, you know, it goes back to our hands are really tied. And so, you know, people just really have to do a better job of educating themselves on these types of state questions. Right. There's a lot of money poured into that uh, uh, campaign. And one thing thing I'll say, George, is a lot of the people reaching out to us are actually Oklahoma growing companies, marijuana growing companies reaching out to us saying, hey, this is not fair. Right. We're having to compete against out-of-state, out-of-country growing operations that are not playing by the rules. And so y'all need to do something to help make it a a level playing field. And, And so a lot of these restrictions or regulations we're passing or even at the request of the industry as well, and the, our constituents. We'll be looking forward to seeing what you guys can do uh, on that uh, on that matter in the next legislative session, I guess. So any other leg- uh, interim studies 
uh, Brad, you're looking at? So we're there's one in my committee. I'm the chair of energy and uh, Representative Lowe's. Uh, I think he's one of the co-authors as well. It's going through my committee. We're looking at uh, how county assessors are evaluating uh, uh, energy and windmills and energy uh, company valuations. Yeah. Yes, because there's a lot of schools in Grady County that are affected, even Stevens County that I represent as well. So we're trying to make it a fair process, but you know where money gets turned over quicker. Uh, there's a lot of schools that are waiting on their tax payments and and a lot of these companies don't feel like maybe they're getting assessed properly yeah there's a lot of protests with a the lot county of assessors because of energy companies thinking they're getting overcharged that's right so that. we're trying to figure out a, a more fair and quicker process to uh, resolve these matters so that everyone uh, can get moving on with paying their taxes and moving forward so the districts can get the the money they need that's to right edu to educate our kids that's right any other interim studies you might be yes. uh, focusing on so i have several that i filed not all of them have gotten approved or are being heard but i did file one about the advantage waiver program which is a medicaid community-based um service through dhs so looking at that and just for efficiencies basically and then um, i had several DHS focused studies on foster care. Um, my husband is a child welfare supervisor. He and I have been foster parents and um, had a lot of issues with the foster care system uh, here in Oklahoma throughout the session from constituents and some people that just knew my husband worked for DHS and kind of reached out. So really looking forward to working with DHS on that and seeing what state laws are you know, really tying the hands of DHS workers to be able to provide better services to our foster families. Uh, some of that stuff is federal and we can't change that overnight, but um, it'll definitely give us some target goals to, to look at for legislation to help Oklahoma families. Senator Jessica Garvin, thank you for being on the thank program you. today. We thank really so appreciate much. it. And uh, Brad Bowles, thank you for being on the show today. Uh, thanks for having us. And uh, to all the listeners out there, just reach out to us if you have any concerns that we can help you with. Email quickly. Yeah, brad.bowles at okhouse.gov. And jessica.garvin at okcenate.gov.